we doing? <laughs> oh, you guys are so much fun, man. Awesome. Good to be with you guys. I'm switching sides. All right. Um, how, let's see. And I know he already did this, but if you could just raise your hand if this is your first time here. I just kind of want to... Aw. Hey, you, man. You. <laughs> awesome. All right, so we are in a new series um, and super stoked about it. We like doing this um, every now and then. Uh, For some of you who are like uber spiritual, I know that these kind of series are like not your favorite, right? And so turn to your neighbor and just go, oh, brother. (sighs) A relationship series. Um, And the reason that we chose this time of year, the reason we do it this time of year is because it is wedding season, right? So some of you are in here, and you love wedding season because you have a date, right? And so um, wedding season is awesome because you get to wear your suit or, you know, I don't know if you wear a tie, cargo shorts, I'm not sure. You wear a dress, and, you know, you take selfies at the wedding like, mm-hmm, here with my date, right? And, uh, and you just love it. And then you sit in the ceremony. You love to sit in the wedding ceremony. And you sit there with your, you know, your date. And you're like, maybe someday that's going to be us. You, like, shed a tear during the ceremony. Right? Or, um, you know, and then the slow dance comes on. The slow music comes on during the reception. And you're like, this is awesome. Because I actually have someone to dance with. Right? And you're like, I'll be your crying shoulder. Right? And you're just, like, loving that moment. Right? And then, <laughs> and now, now, I feel your pain, some people in the room. I feel your pain. Because wedding season is truly, truly like a different form of hell for you because you're single. Now, if this is you, wave, you know, get Baptist on me and wave a hanky in the air. If this is you, you know, you hate weddings. All right. Because... Because a few months ago, your Facebook started blowing up with, like, your girlfriends and your guy friends. Like, you know, we went out to this really nice restaurant, and, and, and we're engaged, right? And the girl, like, shows off her four-carat ring, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, my car doesn't even cost that much, right? <laughs> and you go to the ceremony, and you're just one of these, right? Like, you're just like, this is a crock. Like, this whole thing is just horse poop. And, you know, and, like... And the slow dance comes on, and you're like, come on, Lord, like, get to, like, the Cuban shuffles so I can, like, so I can dance, line dancing, just anything with a line. Okay, so, so that's why we chose this season to do a relationship series, and we're calling this series Love Don't Die, and the lyrics of this song go like this. It says, um, if I know one thing that's true, it ain't what you say. It's what you do, okay? And thousands upon thousands of people across the United States on weekends this year, okay, on Friday nights, on Saturday nights, they are going to get together. They are going to, um, you know, spend tens of thousands of dollars and get in front of pastors and their friends and their family. And before God and before all of these people, they're going to hold hands and they're going to look at each other and they're going to lie to each other which is kind of funny, but it's true. Because we all say a bunch of promises. Folks say a lot of promises on their wedding day, and they make a ton of promises that they can't keep. 
And it's not because, they, like, you know, folks don't have good intentions, right? Like, they have good intentions. They love the person they are about to marry. But we have some pretty lofty promises that we say when we get married. We say things like, for better or for worse. That's what we say. We say things like, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. Those are some lofty, lofty promises. And Proverbs puts it this way. It says, Proverbs 20, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. And Solomon is saying in this moment, a lot of people talk a big game when it comes to love and when it comes to marriage. A lot of people can talk the talk, can make big promises, right, baby, it's going to be me and you, baby. Baby, you and me forever. I'm going to treat you like nobody. You know, sorry, whoever pointed to. Um, it's my husband. Where are you, babe? Um, we say these things, right? But we know that not everybody is able to keep their promises. And we know this because Barna just came out with some stats, and they're actually better, okay, than stats we've heard before. But we know that one in three marriages don't cross the finish line. We know that. We know that in Christian marriages, okay, one in four Christian marriages don't cross the finish line. Okay, and that stat might be a little bit better, but if I'm um, thinking about doing a life, um, you know, threatening surgery, and they're like, hey, you know, um, only one in four chance you're going to die, okay, Jess? I'm like, no. <laughs> no, right? Like, we want love that doesn't die. And Proverbs says we can talk a big talk, we can say a lot of things, we can say that we're going to do this and it's going to work out, but there's a big, big difference between our words and the actions that follow it up. And I've worked at Red Rocks for a long, long time, and I've seen the beauty and the wonder of people getting married, and then I've also seen um, the wreckage that happens when um, love does die. And that's not something I want for anybody in here. In fact, what I want for you and what we want for you as a young adults community is we want you guys to be promise keepers, okay? The things that you say, you f I'm sorry, I'm like spitting on you. Um, the things that you say, we want you to be able to follow up with your actions. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And so before we get into tonight, let's, um, I know it's hot in here, guys. Let's just pray and ask God to give us some grace, okay? Um, God, thank you for this room. God, I thank you that we have a room to meet in. And if you could cool it down, Lord. Um, that would be awesome. And we do ask that in Jesus' name. And God, I, I pray that, um, I do pray for everybody in here. I pray for every single person in here that is um, in a relationship, that is married, that is um, not in a relationship. I pray over every marriage that is made in here. Um, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would um, cover them. I pray that they would have marriages that are incredible, that are life-giving. Um, and that, God, that everybody in here can be people of integrity that keep their word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, when I got married, it was the best day of my life, okay? Best day of my life by far. And my husband and I, John, okay, we got together before friends and family, and we said things like, you know, for richer or for poor, um, for better or for worse. We said, you know, and John promised, you know, the Corinthians promised, which is love is patient, love is kind. He promised me, he said, babe, I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to be kind with you, okay? And in the first year of our marriage, I put that promise to the test, okay? So uh, the day before John and I got married, I totaled a car 
which you're like, oh, you know, accidents happen, and they do, okay? So by the time we're married, we have awesome insurance already, thanks to me, okay? And over the next couple of months, um, a, a couple of months would go by, and I'd call them around lunch hour, and I'd be like, hey, babe, hey, um, so the new car we just got, okay, um, I crunched it into another car, and I, but you promised to love me. You promised to be patient with me, right? And he's like, it's okay, babe. I love you. Like, we'll get it worked out. Take it to the body shop. It's all good. A couple months go by, and I call him again. I'm like, okay, babe. I know it's like three days before Christmas, but I slid into a car on 6th Avenue. And he's like, it's okay. Like, I have patience with you. You know, so a couple months go by, and it literally, it's like lunchtime, and I call him, and it's an odd time to be calling him. So he picks up the phone, and he goes, what? Like he, like, like, he knew that I crashed my car into something, right? And I'm like, hey, babe. And, you know, and so, um, you know, and there would be these times where I would put that promise to the test. There was another time where we were a little bit short on cash, and John was in charge of our finances. And I said, you know, um, John, I really need some jeans. And so can you give me some money so I can go shopping for some jeans? And he said, sure, babe. You know, here you go. Um, so I take off. And when I come back, <laughs> I have a leather jacket. And he goes, um, those don't look like jeans. And I'm like, I know, but you love me, right? You know? And he's like, oh, I love you, you know? And, um, and then uh, the, the kind of the, the, the epitome of all of these stories is this moment where we're following each other home, and John has this, like, beast of a vehicle. It was this Xterra that he lifted, and we would off-road with it. And it was just, like, this silver, like, machine, right? It was gorgeous. And all the guys in here that love lifting your cars and stuff, you can go talk to my husband afterwards. It was just awesome. And so I pull in, and for whatever reason, like, you know how you have rhythms that you go through where you just always do the same thing? So I pull into the garage, and I immediately hit the garage button. And John is pulling into the garage, and that door closes on the top of his car and scrapes the top of his Xterra. And he gets out of the car, and I look at him, and I go, oh, remember what you promised? And he legitimately goes like this. He just goes, give me a minute. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay, I will, babe. Um, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal is that we can all make promises, but it is quite another to deliver on those promises when the time comes. And I was listening to a pastor this week, and um, I thought his points were so good, and so I'm going to share some of these with you tonight. But he says about promises, and I think this isn't true, that intention does not mean ability. Just because you have an intention towards something doesn't mean you have the ability to follow through. And we know this is true, especially if you're an athlete in here, okay? If I tell you I can run a 5K in 20 minutes, and I promise you I am going to do that, you're like, cool. But my promise and my intention does not equal ability. We know this is true. We know this is true if, you know, someone in the room is like, I'm going to run, um, I'm going to do a triathlon, and I'm going to do it, you know, August 26th, and I'm going to sign up for it, right? They can make a commitment even to do a triathlon. But then again, that doesn't mean that they have the ability or the capability to fulfill that promise, People in the room can say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a 1,300 on my ACTs or on my SATs, I'm sorry, and, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I promise you, mom and dad, and you can promise that, but the intention doesn't equal ability. 
You know, I can promise you next week, guys, I'm going to preach in French. <laughs> Intention doesn't equal ability. And it's not just that, but we make these promises, and in every area of life, we know that you have to measure up to your word. But for whatever reason, when it comes to marriage, we think that our promises will sustain the marriage. And so I wrote down this. The second thing about our promises is that a promise is no substitute for preparation. A promise is no substitute for preparation. And people will get into marriages thinking, well, I'm promising, I'm saying I do, I'm making this covenant, I'm making this commitment, and um, my promise will sustain the marriage. But we know this isn't true. Because in every other portion of life and in every other sector of life, you have to prepare for the commitments that you make. And see, our mouths have to line up with our lives. And scripture talks about this. Numbers 30 says this, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he is not to break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Wow. And later on, Jesus says this. He says, again, you have heard um, it said to those of old, you shall not swear false testimony, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. God says, just like the song says, it ain't what you say, it's what you do. It's what he says. And there's a couple in the Bible that we read about, and um, you guys have probably read about him. Um, his name is Boaz, and her name is Ruth. And we, you know, whatever, we talk about them in dating circles and in, and, and in terms of being kind of this picturesque relationship, but they really were. And the reason why is because by the time that these two got together, they had been practicing their promises for years. They had been practicing their promises for years. When we meet this woman, Ruth, she had sworn to a, a, a woman named Naomi, who was her mother-in-law. When um, Ruth's husband and Naomi's son passes away, Ruth promises Naomi, she says, I will take care of you. I will stay by your side. I'm going to make sure that nothing um, comes against you. I'm going to make sure that you're taking care of you in your older years now. I'm going to make sure that life works out okay for you. And she keeps her word to this woman. And then we meet Boaz, and it says that he is this type of businessman and this type of man that people know about and that people talk about. He does well in his business adventures, the things that he tells to his employees, he follows through on. Okay, and so we meet him, and he is also a man that everything that he says, everything that proceeds out of his mouth, he does. And so then we have these two people coming together, and they have a most epic relationship and it's not because of anything else besides the fact that they practiced their promise before they even got started. And so tonight, we want to talk about what does it look like for you and for me to practice this promise, for us to practice the promises before we even make them. And if, and if tonight um, can have any bearing on our future, I hope that everybody in here becomes, after we leave here, becomes amazing practicers of covenant. 
okay? And so um, there's a couple of things that we can do to prepare for our promises. And the first thing is this. I'm going to give you super practical things tonight, okay? Super practical. This is not going to be like a very, you know, spiritually, like, you know, ABC kind of message. This is going to be like write this down and then do these things, okay? The first one is this. Practice saying you're sorry. Practice saying you're sorry. Matthew 5, 23 says this. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering, you suddenly remember, um, and you suddenly remember you have a, a grudge, or a grudge a friend has against you, I'm sorry, abandon your offering, leave immediately, and go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. It is hard to say you're sorry. Okay, just so we're clear, no one in this room likes saying they're sorry. No one likes it. Just recently, okay, this like happened last week. I was kind of in a little tuffle, okay, with someone. And it was one of those things where like he had done some things wrong and I had done some things wrong and we both were kind of like frustrated and upset. And I went to the Lord about it and I knew that I knew that I knew that it was going to be hard, but I had to go and I had to say that I was sorry. And understand this, that saying you're sorry is not an emotion. You're not going to feel like saying you're sorry. When I apologized to this man, I did not feel like saying I was sorry, but I knew that God would honor it. In fact, in Matthew, it says that God won't even really hear your worship, that he doesn't want to hear your prayers until you apologize and make things right with the person in your life that you need to. And you need to just go to that person and tell them you're sorry. And I wrote down some specifics for saying we're sorry because sometimes we can get into scenarios where we apologize to people and it's just like, oh, you know, I'm sorry about that. Okay, that is not an apology. Um, An apology is something that's very specific, okay? Um, Because sometimes we'll get into scenarios and we'll kind of apologize like a kindergarten, you know? It'll be like a kindergartner. It'll be like, oh, you know, well, I'm sorry about that. You know, and we'll apologize like we're passive aggressive. Or we'll be like, gosh, I'm sorry, you know. Like, and none of those things are really an apology. But when you get specific, that's saying you're sorry, okay? When I say, honey, I'm sorry that I was absent-minded and that I shut the garage door on your really nice vehicle. That's saying you're sorry. When you say, you know, I'm sorry, I had a poor attitude with the way that I just treated that project. That's being specific. When you say, you know what, I am sorry that when I said those words, I hurt your feelings. It's specific. And when you say you're sorry, you need to get specific. Another thing is that you need to try to understand before you try to be understood. You need to try to understand before you try to be understood. I have made it a practice that any time I squabble with somebody that I try to understand where they're coming from. Because what do we do when we've been wronged, right? We want to make our case. We want to make our point. We want to, like, present before the judges, right? We want to be like, okay, well, here's why I am right, and you're just frustrating. (laughs) It's true. Take a moment. Take a step back and say, all right, I'm going to try to understand before I try to be understood. And you 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 can see at the moment that you look at a person and you say, I validate what you're saying. I understand. I understand where you're coming from. I understand that I hurt you. I know how you feel. The moment you say something like that, a person's shoulders relaxed, and suddenly they're ready for a conversation with you. And I have had a lot of experience with saying I'm sorry because I'm a human. (laughs) 
And in my experience in every argument that I've ever had, that if I try to understand first, if I go and I apologize first, if I go and I make things right first, God honors me. And he may honor the other person, but he absolutely, in my experience, honors me. Practice saying you're sorry. Practice healing. This is from Ruth 1. Now, um, Elimimek, Elimimek, Ruth 1. Put it up there so I can actually read it. Man. No? Yeah! All right. Elimimek. Nope. Okay. So, <laughs> Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. And they married, a Mo- they married Moabite women. One was named um, Orpah and the other Ruth. After they lived there for 10 years, both um, Milan and Kilion also died. Okay, so this is one of Ruth's husbands dies, or Ruth's husband dies, and then her brother-in-law dies. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. All right, it says here that Ruth was married for 10 years. So she celebrated anniversaries and birthdays and had memories with this man. Now, when we meet Ruth later on and she is um, meeting Boaz for the first time, she is a fully healed individual, a fully healed individual. In 20-somethings, it is pertinent that you deal with your past wounds and your past baggage and you practice healing before you get married. Because if you don't, you will treat your spouse either like a garbage can or as a god. And when I say you treat them like a garbage can, this is what I mean. Um, All of that past baggage and past hurt, you will gather up. And any time this spouse maybe comes to you and, um, you know, maybe works late, right? And or uh, does something wrong. You will be unable to filter it through eyes that are clear and that are healed. But you will filter it through the eyes of the wounds of your past. And you will take out your garbage on that person. And they will literally just look at you like, gosh, I was just working late, or I didn't mean to say that. I'm so sorry, but your rage will not, me- will not meet the offense. You'll be more angry than the actual offense requires, and so it's important that you heal because you will take out your garbage on your mate. Either that or you will um, make them your God, which I think is an even worse thing. You know, you will look to your spouse and you will say things like, well, my dad never showed me um, that I was worth anything, but you will. My ex-girlfriend cheated on me, but you'll never wrong me in any way, right? I was hurt in the past, but you can, you can answer this hurt, right? And you will unknowingly put this um, weight on a person where they are forced to be in some way, shape, or form your God or your answer. And scripture is very specific that God is our healer, that Jesus is our healer. Jeremiah says, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Fix me, fix my wounds, God, and I will be fixed. And it says, and then I will praise you, okay? And I've seen too many couples try to find their answers for their wounds within one another. And so we need to be practicing healing. We need to be practicing healing. We need to be practicing stewardship. Ruth 2 says this, now Naomi, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Amalek, oh my goodness, um, whose name was Boaz, okay? So here is Boaz, and it says he is a man of standing. 
And that word stewardship, okay, when I say practice being a steward, a steward is um, kind of old language, it's old world language where someone like a master of a home would put someone in charge of all of their belongings and they were called a steward. And so that steward would look over the home, they would look over the finances, they would look over anything that the master gave them. And this man, Boaz, is absolutely capable of stewarding what God has given him to steward. It says he was a man of standing, meaning he was a very good businessman. He was very good with money, and he was good with people. And you can start um, practicing stewardship right now. You can practice stewardship in your job. God gives you a job, and it's up to you how you steward it. And um, to all the guys in here and to all the girls in here, I just want to say this. Um, does the person that you're dating or the person that you're interested in, um, how do they honor their boss? Do they work hard? Do they show up on time? Do they complain about their job all the time? Like what kind of steward are they of the job that they be have been given? Do they have a job? And um, if they've had like maybe five jobs in the last two years, that should be kind of a signal to you something going off in your brain that this person does not know how to steward the things that have been given to them. And chances are that when they get into a commitment, and that commitment, um, they don't even have a paycheck for that commitment, okay? And something is challenging the stewardship of your relationship, they won't be able to follow through there either. Practice steward stewarding your money. Um, when we read about Boaz, he is a generous man. It says that he took care of all of his employees, and then at some point, this woman, who we will later find out is Ruth, is out kind of pillaging in the fields, and um, he realizes that this person is needy as in, and is um, in need of food, okay? And he says to his servants, he says, do anything that you can to make sure that this woman is taken care of. He is a generous man. And so some of us in here tonight, we need to start practicing this kind of stewardship where you are generous with your finances, where you tithe before you get married, where you um, get out of debt. Here, here's something. Um, get out of debt before you get married because it is so much harder to get out of debt once you are married because <laughs> you'll be like, oh, my gosh, we should probably buy a house now, right? It's so much more difficult. And use that kind of as like um, kind of uh, a goal for you guys. Be like, oh, well, as soon as we get out of debt, then we can get married. Awesome. You are going to get out of debt really quick because you want to get married, right? Become a steward of what God has given you. Become a steward of what God has given you. Practice stewardship in your job, with people, and with your money. Practice submission. Everybody say, ooh. Ephesians 5 says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, we're going to talk about this uh, idea of submission in the coming weeks because I want to unpack it with you guys and talk about it. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, but scripture says submit to one another out of reverence for God, okay? And when we meet Ruth, she is submitting to this woman named Naomi. And she's saying, Naomi, um, whatever you want to do, I will make sure I go with you. And uh, she would ask for permission from Naomi, even though Naomi did, had no legal rights over her whatsoever. She would be like, she wanted to honor her, right? And submission simply means this. The definition of submission is to honor someone before yourself. 
That doesn't mean they're better than you. That doesn't mean that um, they need to overpower you. It means that you are honoring them before yourself. And um, that means also that you are honoring a person even when they don't deserve it. And we do this in practice, um, or hopefully we do this in practice, and we will submit to our leaders, right? We'll submit to people like the President of the United States, even when you don't agree with them. You'll submit to your bosses, even if they aren't managing things the best way they possibly can. And biblically, you are supposed to honor your spouse before yourself. Look to your neighbor and say, that sounds hard. It is. It's really hard. And so you need to practice submission now. You need to practice submission now. Practice honoring your family members before yourself. Practice honoring your teachers. Practice honoring police officers. Practice honoring your friends, your bosses. And um, this is just a side note to the guys and the girls in the room, but if you are meeting someone or you are dating someone with an authority problem, they will be a problem because there is no way in God's green earth that two years into your marriage, they are going to want to submit to you. So don't date people with authority problems. That's a side note. You want to marry someone that respects the people around them. You want to marry somebody that treats um, hostesses and waitresses really well. Those are the kind of people that are practicing submission and will more than gladly do it in relationship with you. My last point is practice selflessness. Practice selflessness. Ruth 1 says this. It says, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if death ever separates me and you. So long before Ruth met Boaz, she was practicing serving someone selflessly. When Ruth and Naomi went back to Jerusalem, so they were in Moab and they traveled back to Jerusalem, Ruth was the person that took care of Naomi. She was the one who went out um, into the fields and made sure they had enough food scraps. She was the one who made sure that um, Naomi was taken care of, that there was always someone there um, to protect her because at this point she didn't have anybody else. And serving someone selflessly, this is what it means. It means serving someone and not expecting anything in return. Nothing in return. And the reality is, is most of you in here are super giving people. I've seen you. You volunteer in Kids Rock, and you volunteer on Sundays. You volunteer at youth. You volunteer here at young adults. And you are such giving people. And so I want, I want to um, encourage you, okay? I, I love your heart. And I love this group of people. But hear me on this. People get into marriage, and for whatever reason, this is the one area of life where they think this is the thing that is going to fill my cup. This is the thing that is going to fill me up. This is the thing that is going to complete me. This is the thing that is going to make me feel better. And biblically, biblically, that couldn't be further from the truth. The Bible talks about marriage, and it never talks about it um, as self-fulfillment. You should know that as Christians in here. It only, only, only ever talks about marriage as self-sacrifice. 
Ephesians talks about us submitting to one another. It talks about um, the men laying down their lives for the sake of their bride. And not necessarily literally, but definitely figuratively and definitely spiritually. It talks about um, in John 15, it says, um, there's no greater love than to lay yourself down for someone else. It talks about in Philippians 2, um, don't do anything out of self-interest. Don't do anything out of vain conceit, but always do things out of the interest of the other person. Selflessness is the keynote to love. It's the, um, it's the ultimate to love. And so you practice humility by apologizing, by saying you're sorry. You practice healing. You practice stewardship. You practice submission and selflessness. And here's the thing about people that do these things. Here's the thing about people that practice their promises. They are extremely attractive and they are contagious. They're attractive and they're contagious. Ruth says this. Boaz replied, I've been told um, all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you and bless you for what you have done. Boaz says, I've been told about you. I know who you are. People, people have been talking about you. And I've heard the kind of woman that you are. And you're the kind of woman that serves, and you're the kind of woman that is selfless, and you took care of your mother-in-law when nobody else would, and you moved here to a people that you didn't even know. You're adventurous. My goodness, I have heard about you. People who are practicing their promises are attractive people. They are attractive people. And I, I, I can just say this at young adults, because um, I don't care. I'm kind of a matchmaker. It's a problem I have. Um, <laughs> And, like, legitimately, I'll see, like, an, a stellar guy or a stellar girl, and, like, I'll walk up to, like, every girl I know, and I'll just be like, dude, have you seen this? <laughs> like, he is a, like, he is a man. Like, look, look at how he serves. Look at how he treats other people. Look at, how, like, he is the real deal. Have you heard about him? You know, or there'll be ladies in here, and they will be just full of integrity, and beautiful from the inside out. And just like hearts on fire for God and service and like loving people and genuine and kind, right? And I'll, I'll be like, seriously, have you seen this girl? Gosh. And I will tell you this, those people go quick. I've seen way too many people get married. It's awesome. <laughs> it's attractive. It's attractive when you keep your promise. And here's the deal for your future marriage, you guys. It is contagious. I'll get home from work, and I'm just going to brag on the man in my life for a little bit. I'll get home from work, and um, it'll be a long day. He'll get home from work, too, and we've got a little baby, right? And he'll be like, why don't you let me take, why don't you let me take Brooke, and I'll go, you know, I'll go change her. I'll go put her down. I'll give her bath. And immediately, something in my heart is like, what can I do for you? What can I do to serve you? What can I do to honor you? The moment my husband comes to me and he says, babe, I'm so sorry. I go, I know, me too, right? It's contagious. 
It's so contagious when we are men and women who practice our promises. And here's the deal, you guys. I believe, okay, and I'm speaking this over this room, that you are going to be people of integrity, that you are going to practice your promise. And the day that you get up and you stand before family members, you stand before God who says you better keep your word. You stand before everybody and you say, for better or for worse, richer or for poor. My prayer for you guys in here is that you practice these promises and that you have marriages that are just full full of life, vibrant, fun. It's the best thing in life if you do it right. And so will you guys stand and I'm going to pray over you. God, I pray over everybody here, God, that they would be promise keepers. I pray over every man in here that this series would encourage them to be leaders, that it would encourage them to be servants, that it would encourage them to be strong, Pray for every woman in here, God, that you would encourage them in their identity, that they don't need to be anything more or less than your daughter, that they can be servants of you, God, that they can be servants of other people, God, and you will honor them. Pray for their strong feminine hearts. And God, over everybody tonight, I just pray over their future marriages, God. Marriage is the lighthouse to the world, I believe it. People are going to look at their marriages and want a piece of what they got. And so I just pray over everybody in here, God, that you would teach us to practice our promises and teach us to be promise keepers. We pray this in your name.